0: Coach radio. That's audibletrial.com slash LifeCoachRadio. And now, here's today's show. Hello, you're listening to Being a Leader, live with Brenda Baird, a radio show about leadership. Whether you're a first-time manager or a seasoned executive, this show will get you thinking about essential skills a leader must master. I'm your host, Brenda Baird, and each episode of Being a Leader draws on my 35-plus years of experience in building teams and leading people to get work done. I offer practical advice, personal coaching, and creative new ways of thinking about some common leadership challenges. Along with doing this radio show, I am a certified professional coach and an energy leadership master practitioner. My coaching practice serves organizations, both large and small, emerging talent, managers, teams, and individuals. If you or your organization is looking for innovative support to help employees reach their full potential, check out my website, brindabairdcoaching.com, for a complete list of my services. Today's topic is leading when you're not the boss. I'm going to guide you through examining your own emotional intelligence and your ability to influence others. On this show, you'll learn my five steps to successfully leading when you're not the boss. The information I'm going to share with you will give you the knowledge you need to be prepared and to face your future with more confidence and optimism. You know, we're all leaders somewhere in our lives. And certainly we are the leader of our own lives. So I hope today's topic inspires you to reflect and take some action to make your life the best life that it can be. Now, if you need help gaining greater confidence as leader, connect with me to book a free complimentary coaching session. There are many ways for us to connect. You can connect with me through my website. You can t- connect through social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can simply call my office. Another way we can connect is actually right on this show, and I'd love to talk to you live on the air. So call 646-716-9397 and press 1 to get in the queue. I would love to hear your thoughts, and I'd love to answer any questions you have about today's topic. Now, if you're not able to call in, you can send your questions to Brenda at BrendaBairdCoaching.com. Okay, so if you have a pen and paper handy, you may wish to grab it so that you can take a few notes. Because by the end of our hour together, you'll be able to distinguish between what is personal power and positional power methods of leading, and plus you'll learn how to apply my influence model to increase your value in your organization. So really, if you're like most professionals, you find yourself in situations where you have responsibility to get work done with others, but you really have no direct authority over the individuals who contribute to the work. Here's a few situations where you may need to influence with authority. Perhaps you head up a cross-functional team whose members don't report you. Or maybe your responsibility is to manage an outside vendor, Maybe you've taken on the lead of a project for your department, and you're working with your coworkers, or are you working on a global project with your peers? In some cases, you may have some nominal authority, but you find that your requests for action really go unanswered. Look, influencing others is a complex skill, and there is no one best way to lead when you're not the boss. Different situations with diverse individuals call for different leadership styles. However, one of the ways in which people consistently demonstrate leadership in any situation is by exercising influence. Now, I define influence as the capacity to help shape what happens next. Influence moves people to produce the actions, behaviors, opinions that are going to produce the effects you need To achieve your goal. Influence can happen directly or indirectly, and it can happen in many different settings, both formal and informal. And in situations where you lack command authority, meaning you're not someone's boss, issuing direct orders is not a feasible way for getting positive results in sustaining relationships. So using that pen and paper that I asked you to get Think for a moment and write down what behavior or skill do you use to move a person into action? Perhaps you wrote down you use the power of persuasion or maybe you issue threats. Maybe you make promises, petition them on moral grounds. Maybe you challenge their intellectual horsepower. You may even just rely on your reputation or your friendship and return with a favor. You kind of get the idea here. It's a common belief that if one has authority or is the boss and is in charge, then they have the power to make things happen. The truth is, even when you are the boss, it doesn't mean that you can actually influence what will happen next. However, being in a position of authority, such as a manager, director, or a VP, bestows what I call positional power. Now, positional power means the title you have puts you in a position to lead. And notice I said it puts you in a position to lead. Being a good leader is an entirely different matter. Positional power gives you a level of power and puts you in a position of authority. How you lead is the choice you make, and it is a responsibility that must not be taken lightly. Because of your title, you set the stage for the work environment. Your choices powerful impact on the people around you. I have experienced great leaders who took their role very seriously and set out to create a safe, respectful, and growth-oriented environment that served shareholders and employees well. Great leaders are driven by relationships built on trust, honesty, and cooperation. What's so difficult about those traits, the ones that I just mentioned, is that they're very hard to measure. Great leaders tend not to use their positional power or their title. Instead, they strive to build, nurture, and develop trusting and long-lasting relationships. In this space, even though it's very hard to measure, employees tend to feel more secure, creative, and empowered, and usually driven to go that extra step to achieve results. Employees feel like they belong and they're valued in this environment. And when times get tough, employees will remain involved and engaged. Now, I have also witnessed people in positional power who lead people through fear, manipulation, and, of course, the almighty dollar. The numbers, performance metrics, and the bottom line drive this style of positional leadership. Uh, Unfortunately, the traits in this situation are tangible, and they're usually measured. So leaders with low emotional intelligence or low self-awareness will use positional power uh, because it's an easier way to lead. Some of these leaders can actually achieve great success, but it's usually for themselves or for a small group of people that surrounds them. And when tough times hit, they naturally default to sacrificing people to save the numbers versus digging deep to save the people. Short-term, they may save some money. Long-term, they drain the organization of trust, respect, and cooperation. Now, driving a business through performance metrics while holding people accountable is a good thing. It is not a good thing when it is achieved with a heavy hand or positional power versus your personal power. At some point, you will need to decide what kind of leader will you be and what leadership approach will you use. You will be faced with challenges along the way, but the good news is that you don't need positional power or formal authority to influence others. Improving your ability to influence others, regardless of your formal authority, is a very useful skill to develop. And the good news here is you can develop your own capacity and skill at influencing others. And you can use it whether or not you're in a position of authority. You can influence others without authority. And if you feel stuck or avoiding embracing your ability to influence, coaching can help you to remove the barriers to release your potential. Another major misconception is that you must be a charismatic leader to influence others. Again, this is just not true. What is most important to leaders isn't charisma. It's actually a more mundane set of virtues, such as a reputation for hard work or a reputation of integrity, Are uh, known for being innovative and sharing appealing ideas, reliability, and seen as someone who has done their homework. Now, remember, this show is live, so if you have a question or a comment, call 646-716-9397. Press 1 to get in the queue. I would really love to hear from you. So here's an important tip. It's critically important to prepare well for influencing others. Preparation is more important than choosing the perfect setting for influencing someone. Make sure you have your facts and data in place because being a strong influencer can happen anywhere such as one-on-one conversations, meetings, informal settings like lunch or coffee, your emails and telephone calls. When you want to influence someone, choosing the proper setting is one of the last steps in the process. So I have with some people spending so much time planning where to have a meeting, how will the room be set up, will we have snacks and food, and then spend little time on the effort to make sure That the meeting runs well. So be prepared all the time. Nevertheless, there are times when we must lead when we have no command authority. So over the years, I've sketched out approaches to help in these situations. I personally find that as a leader, having the ability to influence others is a very powerful behavior. Now, true leadership, of course, has never been a matter of formal authority. Leaders are effective when the people around them acknowledge them as a leader. A title doesn't make a leader. A real leader is set apart by his or her attributes, attitudes, and behaviors. So get that pen and paper ready, and let's do a quick activity. Answer this question. In your current life or work setting, what is one thing that you would like to effectively influence. Here's a few examples that you might write down. You would like to influence the clarity of your role. You would like to influence your effective communication and listening skills. You would like to influence the allocation of resources like money or supplies. You would like to improve collaboration with others. Maybe you want to improve employee productivity, or generally in your life, improve your relationships. Remember, we're all the leaders somewhere, whether it is at work or at home, and certainly the leaders of our own life. So as a professional leadership coach, I support individuals who get stuck trying to maneuver through working with others, improving those relationships and leading. Old patterns of behaviors or limiting beliefs can cause conflict and real barriers to our success. So here's how it really works. When we're faced with any situation, there's a thought that runs through our head. The thought triggers feelings or emotions, which then drive our behaviors and our actions. And this is true for anyone. So as a coach, I help leaders to shift their perspectives by uncovering the stories or the thoughts they tell themselves in these situations. And we work to shift their energy to change the patterns so that, that so often sort of get in the way of how they can take action or behave in a manner to give them the results that they're seeking. Like I said, a real leader is set apart by his or hers attributes, attitudes, and behaviors. Perhaps you've heard the old saying, one good turn deserves another. Well, how about one bad turn deserves another? It can be both positive and negative. Essentially, it means that people should be paid back for what they do. In general, people tend to expect that when they do things for others, most people owe them something in return. One positive or negative act is typically repaid with an equally valuable act in return. These are normal human expectations and they are very closely linked to the concept of influencing. Effectively influencing someone means the receiver must see a benefit of some kind. Basically, if you're offering someone something of value, they're going to want to see that same value in return. Now, in a positive exchange, You could offer uh, sharing some of your knowledge with them, or perhaps you could offer to assist them with a project or something like that. It's really a give-and-take moment, and it can be both positive or negative. An example of negative exchange generally results in a loss of benefit, lack of cooperation, or a cost that results from an undesirable response. We can inadvertently start these negative exchanges by sometimes withholding something of value that's needed or giving someone something that they don't really want. Our goal is to try to develop good relationships with our colleagues or our managers or our relationships. And using the five-step process I'm about to share can help when you are dealing with others, even those that are a little more difficult to influence. So ask yourself this, do your colleagues think of you as someone who always tells the truth and admits their mistakes? Are you the first one to figure out what's wrong and how to formulate a new approach? Well, a virtue for strong leadership is a behavior I personally learned from my father. He used to tell me, uh, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Now, these behaviors alone will not make you a great leader, but a lack of them will certainly eliminate you from contention or possibly even derail your career. So now think about what it was that you want to influence. The answer to this question is usually sort of complicated, and sometimes it may seem easier to just complain about what's wrong than to think of a realistic goal that could make something better. To effectively influence, you must, though, have a goal in mind. So start by asking yourself, what do I really want to have happen? If I were in charge, how would I make it happen? What will benefit the organization most? And remember, in order to influence, you must have a goal in mind. Another tip is, is it important? It is important, I mean, to sort out your personal desires and ambitions from the goals that are going to benefit the organization. Example, personal career advancement is not a goal that will help you influence other people. If you are facing any of the situations I just mentioned, call in now for a quick on-air coaching session. Dial 646 716 nine, three, nine, seven, and press one to get in the queue. There really is no single best way to lead when you're not the boss. But over the years, I have nailed down what I feel is a five-step method that can be applied to virtually any project team or meeting in which you participate and you will be seen as a leader. So what makes it so difficult to influence other people Well, the usual responses would include something like, on my team or the group that I'm with, we have a lack of information. We have really tough, tight time constraints. There's distance between the time members, perhaps geographic differences or just office location differences that don't allow you to be in the same room at the same time. There may be mistrust among the people. Or maybe your company has a culture of hierarchy, which means that you always have to go to the boss to get an answer or a decision. And oftentimes these groups will say they have conflicting priorities, meaning we have three things and all of them carry the same weight in terms of urgency. Well, get your pen and paper ready. We're going to walk through the five steps to leading when you are not the boss. First thing is, Assume that everyone on the team is a potential ally. This goes right back to what drives behavior thing. If you think they are, or you think they aren't your ally, you will be right. So start off by thinking they are. First step, clarify your goals and your priorities. Now I can hear you. This seems like an obvious step to most of you, but you would be surprised how many individuals will actually kick off a meeting or start a project or begin to work on a task and not have a clear plan or a clear goal for what the outcome is going to look like. Start with thinking strategically about what information will be most useful for gaining clarity about what you want. Try to determine what primary approach And what is a secondary objective? So, for example, personal promotion or recognition within your company may be your secondary goal, but your primary goal should be something that will benefit your organization, stakeholders, or the people you're serving, customers. Try to determine what the short-term objectives and the long-term goals are, and try to separate critical needs from preferences is critical to achieving the goal. You know, people accomplish the most when their objectives are clear. And it is very important that the first order of business for any kickoff meeting, project, or task is that you write down exactly what it is you want to achieve. If you want to be seen as the leader within a group and you're attending a meeting to kick off a meeting, Make sure you say things like, can we start clarifying our goals? Assume the lead in this discussion, and then assume some sort of activity or part of the activity of drafting the specific goals. Help create the plan that outlines the overall goals for your group and the things they want to achieve. The plan should help you to develop and prioritize your strategies while organizing the actions you want to take to meet the, reach the goals on time. Now, I personally use a process called the Aim Smart Transition Plan. Uh, if you want to know more about that, just send me an email. I'd be happy to answer your questions or to share my template with you about it. Um, I think it is a fantastic way of creating a plan or a project or a project team. So if you want to know more, send me an email, brenda at brendabaird.com. So that was step one, set goals and priorities. Step two, think methodically. That's going to come easy for some and more difficult for others. It depends on your personality type. What you may want to try to get started in this is to actually just take some time to observe and catch the details of the next meeting that you attend when you go to that meeting do people typically just plunge into an issue or perhaps they start arguing over what to do or do team members say or take action that no one remembers the team ever agreeing to take note of these personal dynamics An effective leader leaders are more methodical and systematic and what i mean is that before they jump into a meeting. They have laid out the pertinent data, they've sought out the causes of any situations, and they are proposing actions based on their analysis. Now this is all in draft mode, but if you follow this systematic approach and guide the team through the conversation, you will become the de facto leader. This style of non-authority leadership keeps people focused on the problem-solving process and it reinforces your position as a leader. In this approach, don't forget though to ask some questions like this. Do we have all the information we need to analyze the situation? Remember, you're coming to the meeting with your proposed thoughts and ideas about what the cause of the problem is and what the possible solutions could be but you don't want to be seen as a know-it-all. You want to be engaging. So ask the question to the group. Do we have all the information we need to analyze the situation? Can we focus on the causes of the problem we're trying to solve? Did we get that right? And once you have led them through the causes, then lead them into a similar systematic discussion of potential solutions. Step three, Learn your lessons while they happen. Most teams will just plow ahead onto a project, and it's only after the project is done that they will actually take some time to reflect on what went well and what didn't go so well. And this is many times I have seen this. This is more like a celebration meeting almost, that this project is finally over and we somehow reached the end. And there's some reflection about, you know, this went well. I would do this next time flip charts everywhere, we write it down, and when the next project starts, that document is nowhere to be seen, and the project usually repeats some version of the same mistake over and over. So, it's most effective if you can learn as you go along, which means that part of the group's work is to conduct many reviews and make mid-course corrections as necessary. Here too, to be a great influencer, focus the group on regular views and learning and you will be seen as a leader that they can trust and respect. Step four, engage others. Groups are successful when the skills and efforts of each and every member are engaged, respected and utilized. Not happen naturally. Just as the the step of thinking may not be easy for everyone based on personality type, this too can be difficult for some people depending on their personality. Someone has to make it happen. Someone has to make sure that everyone in the room is engaged and respected. So an influencer does this by seeking the best fit possible between someone's interests and the skills or the tasks at hand. Engagement will incur when the influencer writes down a list of all the tasks and matches them to the individual or the subgroup that could best handle that situation. I'm sure we can all agree that there are times that there's tasks that no one wants to do, right? And so a great leader will ask the group to brainstorm ways to make that task more interesting and challenging. Or maybe what's needed is to take that task that no one wants to do and separate it up into smaller parts so that others can manage it. And another important thing is to remember to draw out the quieter members so that everyone feels like they're contributing. Now, sometimes that can occur by asking someone a direct question. Be very cautious here. If you have someone in the room who is quiet, because of their personality style, calling on them directly to speak in front of the group off the top of their head can be almost embarrassing for them and very stressful. So find better ways to ensure that everyone is engaged by repeatedly asking, is there anything that anyone else would like to share? And then leave some space and silence for those people to step up and speak. Now you're going to have someone In a room who's going to want to talk the whole time, it's okay to say things like, thank you for sharing your ideas. Is there anyone else besides Bob or whoever the person is that has something they would like to share? And then hold the silence for a minute to give them a chance to speak. Really important for drawing out those members who are particularly quiet and making them feel like they're contributing to the group. Now, the last step is five, and that's feedback. Remember, you're trying to influence people, which you're trying to build their trust and respect. So even if you're not someone's boss, you can provide helpful feedback simply by indicating your appreciation for the efforts that someone has made on the team. This recognition costs you and your organization nothing, but it will create goodwill, feel good. They feel appreciated. It must be authentic, though. So by using the simple word, I thought you did a great job, can really go a long way. Now, sometimes you may run across a time when you can actually even mentor a team member. Maybe it's a new person to the team, a new employee to the organization. This is a huge relationship builder. If a team member is struggling to meet expectations on the team, or get up to speed, you can respectfully say to them, I had to deal with that same problem on my last project. Can I tell you what worked for me? And here's the important piece to that. This should be done privately and not in front of other members of the group. Whether you are assigned the role of a leader on a project or you just find yourself in a leadership vacuum, no one has taken the lead, you can use these five steps to move into that leadership role and improve your situation. You're going to set goals and priorities. You're going to think methodically. You're going to explore lessons learned along the way and engage others while providing constructive feedback. The experience you develop through these situations will help you to develop and grow as an influencer as a leader or a manager. And here's the thing. If you learn to lead successfully without formal authority, lead with it will be a breeze. So there are times we use the five-step influence model in English and sometimes we don't. My experience has proven that when things go wrong, some part of that process was skipped or overlooked. So it's extremely beneficial to take a systematic approach to influencing others, it's well worth the time to be prepared. Now, if you want to know more information about coaching and how it can help you or your organization, check out my website at com. I forgot to check the inbox for questions, and wow, we have a lot of them here. Uh, let's see. This first one comes from Joe in New York, he works for a consulting company. Question is, why is ongoing lessons learned more effective than after the project is actually finished? Well, this is a really good question and typically that's when most lessons learned are done. Um, certainly in my training for organizational development, that's what I learned. You. You have a project, part of the step of the project team, final step, lessons learned. But the answer is that if you do lessons learned along the way, the data is fresh in everyone's mind. The details tend to be more specific, and you can actually engage more people's attention to the problem because it's. It's it's fresh and it's new and it's generally affecting people at that moment. It really calls them to focus on the obstacles now, which then helps the group better utilize its conclusions to make adjustments. Um, This next question. Can you tell us more about the characteristics of a leader that you think are most important? Sure. That's Yeah, so I believe effective leaders have some common characteristics. It starts with being caring and a good communicator. But an effective leader also needs to have some level of comfort with ambiguity, yet they need to be persistent. An effective leader is also a good negotiator They are politically astute, meaning they can manage a variety of different kinds of people. They know how to flex their style to get what they need from each person. I think that they're humorous and really level-headed, meaning they don't lose their cool and they don't retreat to silence. They actually can just stay strong and confident whatever situation is facing them. They're also very effective at engaging people's commitment to challenging goals. Um, They're aware of how their behaviors affect others, and they're always focused on the future. Gosh, this topic could be an absolutely an entire show, um, The Characteristics of a Good Leader. Uh, It would be interesting to get all of your feedback about what you think are the effective characteristics. So. All right. Next question is, what do you do when there is internal tension within a group like competition between team members or employees? Wow. Competition. This can be actually uncomfortable, <laughs> but an effective leader will turn those tensions into productive activities. Competitiveness has advantages and disadvantages in the workplace. You know, on one hand, it's clear that too much competitiveness without restraint can actually exhaust ideas and exhaust the people in the room, and it really pushes the less competitive people to just disengage, and too much competitiveness, competitiveness really, it really can create a toxic environment when you're working against each other and you're not working with each other. However, there are some potential upsides, uh, benefits to having competitive people on your team. For one, are passionate about what they do, right? So that passion, how do we harness that passion? You know, if it's restrained, this can actually be motivating to the team. So as a leader, shifting your perspective on that energy and putting it to good use is really important. You know, sometimes competitiveness in a team can result in an innovative idea or even a successful sales outcome, depending upon what your business is. So think of the ways that you can harness that ambitious energy and turn it to your own good and the good of your team. For example, um, it can often be a useful tactic to, especially if you know this in advance that one or two people are particularly competitive, that you actually start off by asking them for their advice or ideas about the project. This gives them a voice in the room as well as an opportunity for everyone to learn from their experiences. Here's one thing about competitive people. Generally, overly competitive people are usually coming to the situation with some sort of fear. And this emotion is driving their behavior to be competitive. You know, they could be having thoughts of, um, I'm going to be left behind. I'm going to perhaps lose my job if I don't come out on top. Or I'm really not being valued in this group. So when you have a competitive member of your team, try to think of them in this way. Try to perceive that they come to the room with their competitiveness for a reason, not the reason that you would normally think. And so by changing your perspective, you're actually going to come to the situation with added compassion to the situation. Just don't buy into the competitive dogma, but try to look at that person through a different lens, a lens of compassion and understand that this behavior is being triggered by some sort of fear. Wow, these are really great questions today. So I know employees often find themselves accountable for results and they have no formal authority. The bottom line is when you find yourself in these situations, you must lead through with your personal power and influence as well as develop those attributes, attitudes, and behaviors of a good leader that we talked about. You know, the environment created with personal power leadership sets the stage for remarkable game-changing progress. And not only do people want to perform, it actually generates a place where people will actually clamor to be with you in future projects. So by working, by building a working environment that employees can feel safe and secure and trusting, gives everyone the opportunity to learn, grow and win. And success will follow and you will be well on your way to being a leader using personal power. You know, I'm so passionate about people leadership and business development. If you or someone you know is looking to take their career to the next level, let's connect, either on social media or my website, brindabairdcoaching.com. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for those great questions. And when you get announcements for my show, please share my link with your friends and family. Um, And also follow me on Facebook for your regular dose of inspiration. I'm on Facebook at Brenda Baird Coaching. So that's a wrap. And next time, everybody, be safe and have fun.